Wow. What you don't realize is she just preached the whole message. I'm not joking. Literally, the arc of the entire message was just there. But let me do it in words, just in case you guys aren't reading her mind while we do this. Um, so I, I have a hobby. I like dirt biking. I really enjoy it. Last week, my wife had to work, so I had holidays. So I went out dirt biking. Um, it was going smooth. We spent five days dirt biking until we got to Cranbrook, and I was riding behind a bunch of people I didn't know, and the guy in front of me just ticked a branch with the top of his helmet, just like, and it went, the branch went like this, poof, caught me right in the face. You throw the picture for me? My modeling career's over. I know you guys are all really upset for me. It's making a lot of money doing that. It's not bad, so you can see I got a little scratch in my nose, but here's the funny part. After that moment, every branch that was even mildly close to my nose, I was eyeballing. I was like, whoa, hey, what? branch move. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You notice how things in your past create moments of fear? So here's what I want to do, just because you guys are all kind of quiet. We're going to do an audience participation sport here. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to yell out thoughts. So first question, what are things we should fear in this world? Just yell it out. Spiders. Spiders. Amen, sister. What else do we got? Snakes. Hell yes, snakes. Heights. Like it. Heights. Sorry, what was that? Landlords, <laughs> yes. Unless, of course, you are the landlord, in which case you're awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <the other> <laughs> okay, so let's try and go a little step further and ask, what do you fear? I now fear branches that are about eye height that are moving a little bit when I'm dirt biking. I don't like that at all. What things in your life do you fear? I want to take us back today. We've been doing this whole series on stories that change our worlds. I want you to go back to the beginning of humanity. Pre, before the Bible, pre-everything. You're a cave person running around in the woods. You have no, like, house. You have no, I was, we were camping this trip. Started downpouring. We had a, my friend had a trailer. We hopped in the trailer, closed the doors, turned on the TV, had a hot shower. And I was thinking to myself, Early Vince would not have had this. Early Vince in this kind of rain would be life-threatening. So now, imagine yourself back there. You're living in caves. You're hiding under trees. And you just basically are a walking Big Mac. Everything in the environment wants to eat you. In fact, there's a researcher who came up with this idea. They said, uh, dragons... Dragons are part of many, many cultures. And they're trying to figure out why are dragons part of so many cultures, and especially they came up with them separately. And the researcher posited this. Dragons are made up of three things that we're most scared of. Who said snakes? Snakes. Dragons are made up of snakes, big hunting cats, and predatory birds. All things that thought of us as Big Macs back in the day. We live our lives scared of dragons. Now, I just want you to be honest for a second. Let's say you're sitting outside and a, a bug flies up into your hair. 
Do you just calmly sit there and wait for it to go away? If you have hair, thank you. <laughs> or are you like me where you're like, well, yeah, get away from me. We have this still, these fears inside of us, right? This is a fear from being eaten by eagles back when we're living in trees. It still lives in us. We're still scared of dragons. I don't know if you call it genetic memory, epigenetic propagation, but whatever it is, that fear is what got your ancestors to stay alive. So it's not a bug, it's a feature. So when you look at a snake and think to yourself, Eesh, that is a good thing. That's how we stayed alive. In fact, I was doing some research for this message. There's a, a group of hunter-gatherers, kind of fairly, we would call them ancient kinds of people, living in ancient style. They live out in Southeast Asia next to a big python area. One in four of the hunters have been attacked by a python in their life. That does not make me feel good. One in 20 of their hunters have been killed by pythons. We are scared of snakes for very good reasons, because they're the devil. So we're walking Big Macs, we go through our lives, we have dragons all around us, right? This is what kept us alive, but here's the problem. That memory's still inside of us, and if we don't understand it, we're still scared of dragons. We're still looking around our lives going, there's gotta be a dragon around here someplace, I can feel it. I have anxiety, I'm nervous. So if you're living right now and the dragons are a little too close for comfort, if you're scared of snakes but you live in Calgary where the only way you're going to see a snake is at the zoo, chances are you need to go to see somebody and help you dial down that anxiety. Not a gone, dial it down. Because fear is what kept us alive. And our bodies really didn't care if it actually was a snake or if it's just a thing that looked like a snake. It's like run first, ask questions later. But if that's taking over your life, now here's the really amazing part. So we grow up, our, our first ancestors are basically walking Big Macs, they're scared of everything. There was one person who posited that the reason we don't have hair, is, or sorry, that we didn't have hair back in the day made us easier to digest. So y'all with long hair, this is like a safety mechanism. Me and Trevor are like, ah, oh, crap. Okay, have you ever seen uh, little kids? I don't have kids, but you, you see these in pictures. They, you, you sit a little kid down, and then you put a blanket between you and the kid, and the kid's like, then you drop the blanket, and the kid's like, oh, and then you put the blanket up. It's called peekaboo, right? It's a whole game. <laughs> Your parents are like, duh, I know. I only did it for years to keep my kids happy. Okay, but what you don't understand is what's going on inside of the brain. The kids, little kids' brains are very similar to our early primate ancestors, the ones that were scared of dragons. When you put the blanket in front of a small child, their brain can only see what, or only understand what they see. Once they can't see you, you don't exist anymore. That's why the game is so cool. Because they're like, disappeared, reappeared. Oh! <gasps> He reappeared out of nowhere. How does he do that? Gone. He's gone. Only what we can sense is what was real to us. But then something 
profound happened. Humanity evolved. We evolved a skill that I know you're going to think it's a, it's a lame skill, but I'm telling you, life-changing. We evolved the ability to imagine something exists when we can't see it. When, when, when the little kid, you put, you know, if you take it to your, take your teenager, your 14-year-old, put a blanket in front of you, and then put it down, they're going to be like, you're dumb. Because <laughs> what can they, they know that you're still there. They can imagine that you're still there even though they can't see you. That imagination created the ability to understand things like story. We could, we could imagine something exists even though we couldn't see it. So why does the lightning come in? Which of the gods of the ancient days threw lightning bolts? We had a story to explain these moments. The story didn't actually need to be connected to reality. The story has power. So I'll, I'm going to show you that for a second. Let's imagine you are in the mall. What was Alessandra was saying at Costco? I only go to Costco for hot dogs, so that's not going to work. So let's assume you're at the mall, and you're walking this way, and I'm walking this way. And you see me. You're like, oh, hey, there's Vince. And you wave at me. And I just keep walking straight. My head doesn't turn. I don't look at you. I walk right by you. That's the facts of what happened. What story are you saying in your head right then? <laughs> that a-hole. Or are you saying like, oh, geez, like I'm not even like valuable enough in Vince's life for him to acknowledge me? <laughs> Thanks, Esmond. It's not the facts that hurt. The facts is I just walked by you. It's the story we tell ourselves. Once we evolved the ability to have imagination and we could create stories, we created stories of the gods. Our, our walking through the, the earth as walking Big Macs no longer were meaningless and purposeless. Now we could say, this has meaning. This storm came because the gods sent it. Finally, someone's got this place under control. Even if it's brutal, at least someone's got their hand on the wheel, right? Now, if you grew up in a traditional church, whether there's a super being in the sky called God exists, do you notice how this is disconnected from that? I'm not talking about reality. I'm talking about the stories we tell ourselves. And we still do. Um, in AA, I had to look this up. Esmond, can you spell out the quote for me so I can get it right? In AA, they have this line. I think it's step two. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. What is that? That's a story that someone might help us. Now think of our early ancestors. We're running around <laughs> scared of dragons. We're getting eaten all over the place. We're the fast food of the jungle. And suddenly we have the story that there is gods out there, and gods is the right term. If you look at all the early Christian stuff, they're all, well, they believe in many gods. They just have one that they care about more. It's formally called henotheism. If you look at the Ten Commandments, first commandment, have no other gods before me, because in their mind there was many gods. Just Yahweh was the important one. 
And so they created these stories that said, wait a second, maybe the gods care about us. Maybe the gods will actually take care of us, protect us. When you think about that feeling, that story of the gods, there's something that kind of warms my heart with that one. I'm going to use it in a monotheistic language. God loves me. God cares about me. This is story. But not just story. Like story. Like change everything story. We went from being prey, scared of everything, to going, there's gods, and they care. They care about you and me. And then something horrible happened. We're now in biblical times. I don't know if you know, but the Jewish community has gone through three holocausts. You all know the one of the Nazis. The first one was in 6th century BCE. The Nazis were played by the Babylonians. Babylonians came in and decimated it. They took most of the Israelites, took them from their homes, made them live in compounds completely separate from where they wanted to be, destroyed everything. It was so damaging to their psyche that when you read the poetry from this time, can you throw it up for me, Esmond? Here's what one poet wrote about this time. And you Babylonians, ravagers, a reward to whoever gets back at you for all you've done to us. Yes, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes their heads on the rocks. Someone has to treat you pretty brutally for you to wish death to their children. That's how bad this Holocaust was. And the people started off as these, this prey, this walking Big Mac where the dragons are trying to kill them. And then they created a story and they said, the gods will protect us. The gods want to protect us. And then this happens. Their story gets destroyed by reality. Destroyed. They're just, the gods have left. The gods don't care. Like we're talking a life crisis with a crisis of faith the likes that I don't think I've ever understood. And this entire message came from me reading a book in this moment in history. It's by a woman named Karen Armstrong. She wrote a book called A Case for God. Fascinating book. She wrote something that the geek in me, my mind completely blew up. And you guys are going to be the same way. So I'll cue you when the good part is and you'll laugh and be like, oh yeah, it blew my mind, Vince. She wrote that in 6th century BC, as their poetry saying, these Babylonians have destroyed everything. We hate them to the core of our beings. But what they're not saying is, and the gods 
have abandoned us. We're alone and no one cares. Their spiritual leaders wrote a story. It's a story that starts with the word bearer sheet. In the beginning, God was flying over the chaos of the world. And we get the creation story. But wait, you're thinking, no, no, the creation story is about the beginning, so it was probably written first, right? Karen Armstrong's argument is, no, no, no. It was written in this moment, in this Holocaust, to bring peace to their wounded souls, to reconnect them to the story of the divine, and here's how it does it. The story of creation is there's chaos, the water, right? The spirit is flying over the water. This isn't creation out of nothing, ex nihilo. This is chaos, walking Big Macs. And then the creator comes and starts to organize it, putting order to chaos. And then on the sixth day, what happens? The story says that the creator created man, they use the word man and woman, which in their vernacular was all people. We have different terms, but. And then the creator created all people in the image and likeness of God. This is the part where your brain's blown, right? Everyone's going like this. Because the story of God has changed so fundamentally in this moment. This is what blew my mind. Because up until now, the gods were up there. And how many can feel that? My life is crap. I need someone to save me. Someone out there. When the image and likeness of God came, it's like the spark of the divine went inside of me and went inside of you. And what they experienced, God has left the building. Wait, 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 no. You're created in the image and likeness of God. The spark of the divine rests inside of you. That can't happen. Think of that. The gods have abandoned us. They don't give two craps about us. Wait a second. Someone says, what if we see the story changing as the divine is in you and it's in me? It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how bad you've screwed your life up. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. The divine can never leave you because the divine's inside of you. For 700 years, that soothed their soul. All the way through that Holocaust to the next one, when the Roman Holocaust happened. And then we get the final shift in the story. We started off with pray, You know, we're basically just walking Big Macs, scared of everything. And then we had this thing where, no, no, my life sucks. I'm scared, but the divine is going to come save me. The divine out there is going to, you know, I'm a victim of my world, and I just need someone to take care of me. And the story involved to say, no, 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 the divine is in you. The spark is in you. You can't, you can't, it will never go away. You can never be abandoned by it. The final evolution said this, and this is the part, this is the part, the songs five and six that she sang. Because think about this. 
We start to see this post the second Holocaust in the writings of a guy named John. I talked about it two weeks ago in terms of conceptions of God, but I want to take it into us. Here's the deal. Look at somebody in your life. Just imagine somebody you love. And imagine them going through a hard time and feeling abandoned by whatever they conceive of as the divine. The story says the divine's in you. Now you can bring the divine to them. The divine is no longer something up there. Let me say this. Let me be a bit more careful. The divine is no longer only just something up there. The new story says the spark of the divine in me can be the presence of the divine in you. And we get this conception of we. When we love the people in our lives, we are the presence of the divine for them. When someone's feeling all alone and like the world has left them behind and there's, there's nothing, that God has abandoned them, no, 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 we can walk in and in a moment of love we can go, I am the divine here for you. We call it taking water. It's the moment where the story of humanity changes, where, where we can be the presence of God in the lives of the people we love. When you, when you go to the in from the cold, we're doing that for Water Sunday, and you volunteer your time for a bunch of people in a shelter whose lives have been so destroyed, so chaotic, that they have to go someplace just to be safe. When you serve them dinner, you're the presence of God in their lives. According to these stories. When you reach out to a friend who's lonely and, and scared and disconnected, and you say, hey, hey, come to bocce ball with me. What's bocce ball? I don't know. It'll be fun. We'll eat some food. We'll hang out. Really? Yeah, come on, come on. I want you there. And suddenly that person no longer feels alone and abandoned. Your presence becomes the spark of the divine for them. Every moment of our lives, we now can be the presence of the divine for somebody else. When they feel alone, when they feel abandoned, when their story of God is like, there's nothing, no one gives a shit about me. We come alongside and say, no, no, no. I'm here, what do you need? The story of humanity starts off all about me. I am a walking Big Mac, scared of everything. That's still inside of us. And if you're there today, I get it. <laughs> There's dragons in this world, man. I hear some of your stories and I'm going, you know, your dragon looks like this, your dragon looks like that. I get it. Sometimes we are prey. We are the Big Mac. Everyone wants something from us. They want to suck us dry. They want to leave us. I get that. I also get the moment where it feels like, no, 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 I am the victim. I need someone to save me. The story of the gods caring about me. I want that inside of me. When life goes really down the toilet, man, it's like, that's inside of us too. 
And maybe that's where your life is. I get it. Some of us are in all those moments. We feel the spark of the divine story and we go, yes, there's beauty there. And we have moments where we reach out to the people around us, you know, we donate to a cause and we're like, that felt like something. We do something for somebody, you know, smallest little thing, smile at somebody in a, in a lineup. Help your buddy pull his dirt bike up the hill. And you realize that can be the divine in we. My life can be the spark of the divine for somebody who feels alone and abandoned and back as prey. Today I asked Alessandra to sing, I called them anthem songs. Her voice does anthem well. It's like this inspiring, like, let's do this, let's take the hill, yeah! Because I see all you taking water in your life. I see you being the spark of the divine. You've told me stories, little bits and pieces of stories. You're like, oh, hey, this happened. Does that count? Yeah, it does. Hey, I'm just volunteering because I can work a computer at Friend Church. Does that count? Yeah, it does. Why, I can bike, and so I thought I'd raise a little bit of money for this cause or that cause. Does that count? Yeah, it does. I have a life story that I can share with someone. Does that count? Yes. You are water carriers. The story of the spark of the divine, being the presence of the divine for someone else, that's your story. And today to end, as I talk about the evolution of the entire history of humanity, inspired by Karen Armstrong's mind-boggling idea that the creation story was written in the 6th century. Everyone just say, wow, yeah. (laughs) Mind-blowing. Thank you for... The final story is we can take that spark of the divine and be it for the person who desperately needs it. So on behalf of all the people you've touched, on behalf of all the people, you have been their savior. That's a big word, isn't it? It's a word we always want to apply to a single person, Jesus. Stories of the Bible don't talk like that. When you took bread to a neighbor, you were their savior. When you helped someone move, you were a savior. When you cared enough to check in on somebody, you were a savior. When you planned a time to get together with your kids because you haven't hung out, or your partner, or your family members, you are a savior. The story of Friend Church is a story of water carriers. It's the story of saviors whose role is it to save the world. On behalf of the world, thank you. You're incredible human beings and we are lucky to be on the same journey with you. Amen.